Let's pray and we'll open up to Galatians chapter 5. Father, we do thank you for your protection through storms. We thank you that you um, are merciful and have been merciful to us. We pray for those in Tennessee that are uh, struggling with homes destroyed and, and, uh, and even lives lost. And we pray that they would hope in you and trust in you, that you would use these calamities to draw them to your Son. And Father, we pray as we look into your word that you would again feed us and build us up that we might be conformed to the image of your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, so Galatians 5, verse 23, but let's start with 22. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and we've covered all those, and so today is self-control. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another envying one another. So, self-control or temperance is, um, is the topic of the day. Self-control. This is the final fruit, the final in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And in some sense, it's the one on which all the others depend, right? If we lack temperance, if we do not have self-control, we're not going to be given to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, those things. So, um, so I think it's, it's not coincidence that it ends with self-control. And here's, here's some diagnostic questions for you. Can you say no to yourself and obey? And you say no to yourself and obey. Um, can you delay gratification? Can you wait on the Lord? Can you be silent when you feel attacked? Can you refrain when others partake? Um, you've been taught to do, that's self-control. Self-control is not necessarily one of the virtues of our society. Right, I would say that one of the virtues that our society puts forward is actually self-indulgence. Um, uh, we go to the feelies, you know, brave new world, and we want sensations, and we want to feel things, and we give ourselves over to what feels good. And so we've been taught to pursue what feels good, and that's both psychologically physically, mentally, even spiritually. We have been taught to gravitate to that which feels good. That is not what God would have for us because it's a short-sighted ethic, right? Do what feels good. It's very short-sighted. It's short-sighted because it loses sight of the fact that at the end of your life, you will be judged according to 
your works. You'll be judged according to what you have done. Right? And so there is a judgment to come in which our works will be scrutinized. <clears throat> and that's what it means to have the fear of God, is to remember that God, God sees and God knows and God judges um, temporally, but also that there's a day that will come when every account will be settled. And so, um, but self-control, self-control, that's what God calls us to, is the control of our uh, thoughts, the control of our bodies, the control of our minds, the control of uh, ourselves. So, um, if you don't have self-control, you speak your mind. And you feel like you have a right to speak your mind in every situation. Right? Your mind thinks a thought, and your, your mouth expresses it. And there's no like filter after your mind thinks the thought between your, your brain and your mouth. There's no self-control filter. It's just like thought, boom, comes out. Uh, if you lack self-control, you feed your lust. Right? Lusts arise in the thoughts. And then the thoughts turn into actions. And the one who lacks self-control, the thoughts inevitably become action. And there's no like temptation, self-control, denial of indulging in the lust. If you lack self-control, you will feel entitled to express your anger instantly on the spot without any sort of pause, right? So self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says that like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Right? Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. What is it about a city with broken down walls? What does it lack? Well, walls. Yeah, well, defense against enemies, right? If the walls are broken down, there's no defense up. There's no defense against enemies coming in. And so if you don't control your spirit, then you are just like a broken down city. There's no defense. There's no way to resist the temptations that will come along. And the temptations are the enemy, right? The temptations arise from, an, from you know, the sin, the world, the flesh, the world, and the devil, and it, they are your enemy. And so, um, if we don't have self-control, if we don't have control over our spirit, then remember that image of a city without any defenses, walls broken down. Um, one commentary on that verse in Proverbs 25, 28, that's the verse I just shared, um, said, we may see here three points, the city defenseless or human nature as it is, the city defended, human nature as it may be in Christ, and the city needing no defense, human nature as it will be in heaven, right? So the natural man has no defenses, it's a city without walls, it just, it hasn't constructed them. We come to Christ, the Spirit's within us, the walls are constructed, right? 
And yet we allow breaches in the wall at points when temptations break through and those uh, lead to sin. But then in heaven, there, there will be, the, the city won't need any defenses. It won't need walls to be put up because there will be, temptation will not be on the table. Uh, human nature will be perfected and conformed to Christ, and so there will be no sin. Um, but as such, a city can be plundered and laid waste without trouble. So a man who knows not to hold in check his desires and affections is in constant danger of blindly following the impulse of his unbridled sensuality and of being hurried forward to outbreaks of passion and thus of bringing unhappiness upon himself. There are sensual passions like drunkenness. There are intellectual passions like ambition. There are mingled passions which are, you know, intellectual and passionate like revenge. But in all of these, a false ego rules, which instead of being held down by the true or better self, rises to unbounded supremacy. Right? So um, that's from Kyle and Delich. And I found that helpful. Right? There, there are passions that rise up. Right? And the self that God gives to us in regeneration has the ability to fight sin. Right? We are no longer under obligation to the flesh. But we can put to death the deeds of the body through what? The power of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Proverbs 16.32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Right? And so we might want to be impressed by uh, a, a, the, the strength of a conqueror. But stronger, Scripture says, and God says, is the man who can control his spirit. The man who can control his passions, the man who can control his tongue, the man who control himself is um, better than the man who captures an entire city. So ruling the spirit, and, and so many young pups today, um, thunder puppies we call them, Christian nationalists we could also call them, want to capture the city, but they have not learned how to capture their own self. They haven't learned how to um, fight their own lusts and fight their own temptations, right? And so um, that is what we as Christians ought to be putting forward, is not this sort of um, capturing a culture is unimpressive to God, but disciplining the self, which is godliness, pleases God. That's what pleases Him. Now, one would think that the self-controlled and the godly and the self-disciplined would have an influence on culture. But those who lack that self-control are the ones who are often talking about overtaking the culture before they have even overtaken their own lusts. Okay? I mean, that's convicting for all of us. How many how many times do we boast about something we're going to do 
And we ha have no control over our own spirit. You know, we go through the day angry because somebody says something obtuse to us that doesn't even mean what we think it is. And we can't control our spirit, and yet we're going to redeem culture. You know, we're going <laughs> to... It's so ridiculous. The man who has no command over his anger is easily robbed of peace, says Matthew Henry. Easily robbed of peace. We all know this experience. If you don't have command over your anger, you're... You're not very peaceful. You're just always angry, right? You go from anger to anger to anger to anger, and everything seems to build up, right? And, and what may have been a large offense is compounded by little offenses all along the way, and we just get hypersensitive, and then we look inward, and, 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 um, and he says, well, that's, there's, there goes your peace. But if you have self-control then you're putting down the anger and you can actually know peace, right? Um, if, you are, if you lack self-control, you will be exposed to many dangers. You'll be exposed to many dangers. You are that city without the wall. Um, so self-control, controlling one's spirit then is a wall of protection. So, what I started with was, can you say no to yourself and obey? I think all of us at times can say no to ourselves. But can we say no and then it actually works out into our decision, our will, right? What we do next. Tempted to look at illicit pictures. Can we say no and fight to the end where we don't give in that time? right? And have that self-control. Have that fear of God. Have the sense that if, if, I, if I let a breach in the wall, a whole ton of evil is going to be let into my life. Have a sense of those things. And so, um, you have to be able to, first, you have to be able to say no to yourself, and what do you, and it's not just, don't do that, right? It's, here's what Scripture says about that, Here's how wicked that would be if you did that, right? The no is God's no, not just some sort of, you know, no rattling around in your head disconnected from the eternal truth of God's word. So you have to know God's word to have self-control, pure and simple. There's no self-control outside of a knowledge of the word of God. There may be willpower, but that'll fail you. That'll fail you every time. Willpower will get you nowhere. We need, the, we need the power of the Word, the power of the Spirit. The Spirit works through the Word. That's His normative method is working through the Word. And so that, that's how the Spirit works. And so when we say no, it's got to be like God says, you shall not steal. He says, you shall not bear false witness. And what you're about to say is, it may be a half-truth, but that's, not good enough. And you have to listen to it. You have to be, you have to be, um, that inner dialogue has to be helpful to you. And I, I've shared this with you before, but Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, talks about this inner dialogue. He says, do not listen to yourself, but speak to yourself. 
In other words, don't just listen to what's going on in your head, but, but speak into your head. Speak into yourself. Talk to yourself. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come into you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, he's going through Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 is the inner dialogue of the psalmist, right? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Right? He's doing this inner dialogue. And so now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to speak to you. And so I think self-control begins with this. It begins with taking thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. It's those thoughts. It's, the, it's that inner, inner dialogue. Do you have an inner dialogue? Or is it just clogged up with ones and zeros? Like you're a machine. Now, we all have an inner dialogue. We all do. We all have that going on, and we think it's, it's us, and it's authentic, and it's genuine. But it could be the flesh, you know, the sinful flesh, the sinful nature doing its work on you. And that's why the Word of God needs to come in and say, no, no, you can't think that. No, you can't. You can't allow those thoughts in because when you do, it's going to lead down the path where you're like, I'm entitled to, to this sin. And so you have to reinforce this. It's about building up the walls, and you build up the walls of self-control by the knowledge of the Word of God. And so that's why you should be doing devotions. That's why you should be reading the Word every day. Um, and if... And, and if you're not helped to build your self-control by doing systematic readings through the Bible, well, just cherry-pick. Cherry-pick things that will help lead you to godliness, right? These are the verses, these are the books, these are the chapters that I need to spend time in, and just settle in there and take it in. Um, self-control begins with this and we, as we talk to ourselves with the Word of God, we hope to more and more yield to the truth rather than yield to the, counter, the lies or the counterfeits that, that somehow we picked up somewhere in our minds. And so it takes training with knowledge to have self-control. Um, this takes work. And with the Spirit, with it being a fruit of the Spirit, we can trust that that work will be fruitful. Right? This is the Spirit's work in us. Um, here's another um, commentary that I was reading on this front. It's from Jay Adams. Jay Adams. 
Jay Adams was uh, a Christian counselor, was one of the four f- fathers of the New Thetic Counseling. Um, I, I like him in some respects. In other respects, he treats man like a machine, and it's, it gets weird. And so, um, but generally, he, he wants to, he says sin is the problem, and the Word of God is the solution, which is good. Not all Christian counselors say that. <laughs> At least he got that. He goes weird. Yeah, I won't go into it. Um, Adam says this, man's brain enables him to delay his responses and choose a course of action. Now think about that. Delay his responses and choose a course of action. Man's brain enables him, he says. Animals without brains respond immediately by reflex, by instinct. We are not animals that live by instinct, right? We are created in the image of God, and that gives us minds that think, right, and reason. The animals do not. They do all that they do by instinct and reflex. Man, made in God's image as a responsible creature, is not like that. Because of this fact, there is the possibility of resistance to and the rejection of sinful courses of action. When Jesus was faced with three temptations at the mountain, you remember in Matthew 4, Jesus' temptations, the the three temptations. In each instance, he entertained the thought of the wrong action in his mind. Of course he did. It was presented to him, right? The, the wrong course of action was presented to him, and he, he at least, you know, or at most entertained it. But in holiness, he rejected each suggestion, citing the biblical reason for the rejection, right? He quotes scripture, Satan's telling him to throw himself down, and he's like, no, can't do that. Here's my text. Will not do that, okay? And we ought to, um, we ought to approach temptations and difficulties and sins the same way. So G- he goes on, Jesus, by breaking the first link, was able to avoid, avoid forging a chain of sin. It was because he knew God's will in the scriptures that he was able to resist the wrong decision and choose the right one. This process is known biblically as resistance. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. Part of the counselor's task, he writes, therefore, is to help the counselee to learn the will of God in the scriptures with reference to the tests that he had handled wrongly in the past. Even Jesus relied upon scriptures for his strength. Even Jesus relied on the scriptures for his strength. Right? We see in Jesus himself, God himself, the one who was impeccable, the one who could not sin, relying on scripture. So how much more ought we who uh, sin, ought we to rely on scripture? Right, and so going to Scripture, and uh, that's, um, that's the way we begin to build up our muscles. That's the weightlifting we need to do as Christians. Knowing God's Word so that we can resist temptation. That's self-control or spirit control, whatever you want to call it. That's self-control. 
And the way the Spirit will work that in us is with the knowledge of the Word. Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, um, says this. This is a sobriety. He's talking about what is self-control. He says, this is a sobriety or modesty in the whole of human life that Paul sets against the acts of the sinful nature. He wants Christians to live soberly and chastely. He wants them to not be adulterers or fornicators. If they cannot live chastely, he wants them to marry. Also, he wants them to, uh, not to be contentious or quarrelers. He does not want them given to drunkenness or other excesses, but to abstain from all these things. Self-control, he says, includes all of this. It includes all of this. That controlled life. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, you know, he goes through all of these, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? That These things are what we are to give ourselves to. There's not a law against um, these things. And in fact, it's not the law that would bring obedience to these things. It's the Spirit that produces obedience in these things. The law condemns. The Spirit brings um, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, he then says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You're no longer under obligation to live according to the flesh. Okay? And that is the life of the Christian. Does that mean that Christians are perfectly self-controlled? No, not until glory. Does that mean that there won't be terrible sins in your life? No. There are going to be times when you give in to temptation and grieve the Lord, right? But the general, the, this idea of the, the walk of the Christian, right? Not if you scrutinize every point, but the walk of the Christian will be this, this trajectory toward godliness, toward self-control, God really does sanctify us, right? I think we could all testify in here to, I mean, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in the latest sin we've committed, right? And we go from the spiritual high, we, we commit a sin, and then it's like, bam! Just like, God doesn't love me, I'm going to hell. You know, we get, we get there really quickly. And... Um, and because we live that way, we have a tendency not to see the, the, the slow growth over, over the years, right? And so maybe a better diagnostic would be consider yourself 10 years ago. What were you like? You know, what did you struggle with? What did you give yourself over to? What did you have no resistance, no self-control for? You know, and it may be your anxieties, it may be you, you were uh, a spitfire, 
right? You expressed every one of your thoughts and everybody around you lived in your orbit. And now it's not quite like that. You actually think about other people 1% of the time. <laughs> or maybe even 1.5% <laughs> due to extraordinary sanctification. You know, but, but I think, I, th- I would hope I would hope that all of you would be able to say, no, there, there has been growth. The Spirit has been at work. There are things that I couldn't trust the Lord with before, and now they don't bother me. They, they're not a worry. God has taken that off my plate. And that, um, and so I just, I, I, I'm sort of lobbying for sanctification, but not perfectionism, right? And so there's a, there's a sweet spot in here. Sins do discourage us. Sins do, if we give ourselves into temptation, our assurance does plummet, and it ought to plummet. God is going to discipline us, right? And part of his discipline is taking away that assurance from us in our sin. And that's a terrible place to be, right? It's a terrible place to be. But, and, you know, and, and, but on the other hand, I don't want to put forward a, a, unscriptural doctrine of perfectionism that at some point, you know, we're going to get to uh, a point where we no longer sin in this life. That's, that's terrible. That's a terrible burden that just causes everybody in the church to fake it. Present holiness, but not to live holiness, right? You, you learn how to cope and how to, how to present holiness, right? makes a hypocrite of everybody in the church, which is horrible. We don't want to do that. We want to openly confess and talk about our sins and believe in sanctification, believe that sin is terrible and it will be a scourge in your life, and, it, and yet it will be present no matter how sanctified you get. You'll still sin. That's not an excuse for you sinning. But I don't need a doctrine of perfectionism to, to mitigate that tension. We don't need that, right? Lights are flickering. <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> um, thoughts, questions, concerns about this. I, I, the, the main thing I'm saying is, You won't have self-control if you don't know God's Word in specificity for the things that you're facing, right? And so um, there are these wonderful Christian counselor's manuals that, like, if your deal is anger, it's got a chapter on anger, and it just lists the verses that you need to know to deal with anger. Or if it's lust, or if it's unkindness, if it's self-centeredness, you just open it up, all the verses are there. I would suggest that every parent have one of those for your household for your children and for yourself every one of us should have one of those things even if it is the NIV you can you can look up the references and use them use a better bible um yeah sandy yeah Hmm. 
What's what's an example? And you can wreck them. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it is interesting how, how passion seems to be the preeminent sort of expression of people's souls today. Like, I'm passionate about, you know, I'm passionate about... St- Saving souls in Scotland. Or I'm, I'm passionate about eagles and their eggs. You know, I'm passionate about social justice. I'm passionate, passionate about these things. And it's almost like they're saying, yeah, I'm thoughtlessly engaged in these things and I'm just going to pour whatever into it and unthinkingly give myself to it. On the other hand, you can become a crunchy, reformed, you know, disembodied brain and have no feelings about anything and be like, we're, we're going to be stoically given to these things if stoics are given to anything, you know. <laughs> um, so I think, I think there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Yeah. Is, is what? Um, it's a it's the path to godliness, and godliness, if you know the Lord, is is pure joy, right? We want to live a life that's pleasing to God. We want to make our Father say, "Well done." We want to hear that. So yeah, it is the path to joy. Godliness is, and that is one of the tricks of the devil. The devil makes us think that godliness is all loss. It's all losing. It's all losing of good feelings, of good situations, of good experiences, all these things. But honestly, it's the way to putting, pleasing God first. And that should be our joy, you know? Yeah. Um, right, right. There, there will, yeah, even, even the fruit of the Spirit that you think you most properly exhibit there's always going to be room for growth. Always, right? Sarah, did you have your hand up? Go for it. I sensed it. So you've just demonstrated self-control to us. Well, you disagreed with her, but then you, then you spoke in support of her. <laughs> but... I mean, between, between all of us, though, in relationship, in homes, just there is so much self-control that would be beneficial to all of us. If we were just slow to speak, that would, be so, that would lead to so much godliness in our homes. If we, were, if we actually assessed the things we said and didn't say all of them, it would be, bring so much peace, right? And if we had something that needed to be said... Self-control works in the opposite direction and gives you the courage to speak when you want to hold your tongue, right? I want to be helpful. I want to say what's helpful here. I want to go into this, this you know, Christmas dinner and say things about my Lord, even though everybody hates him here. But self-control 
allows you to do that. You make your mouth move. You do it. Uh, yeah, Helen. Sandy? <laughs> you brought it up. You get us out of it. <laughs> well, I mean, compassion, in, in a sense, is a synonym for love or sympathy. To, to have compassion towards somebody, to show them kindness. And passion is just like, these are the things that, this is what I live for. This is what I wake up for in the morning. I'm passionate about this. And generally when we speak about passions, passions are things that control us, right? Rather than self-control, it's something that we can't control, right? And that's why we say God is without passions, right? He's without passion. Nothing controls God. He's never out of control, ever, right? Every thought, everything is deliberate. That's perfect self-control that God has, right? And so I think, I don't know how the words relate and what, you know, it's just a, a Greek prefix to the same word, I would imagine, um, compassionate. But I, I just think they're, they're wholly different things, you know, at, at least the way we use the word compassionate. It's sympathetic, and we should be that. We should be given to... Um, loving others, right, deeply, to at cost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one's a fruit of the Spirit, the other is sort of a lack of control of the emotions, right? Yeah, I think so. That's helpful. Yeah, any other thoughts or comments? We're, we're ba basically done here, but yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thought. I mean, in the next... In the, in the next week, if you want to be godly, do the work of self-examination and finding where you could use some self-control and then go find the verses that apply to that temptation that you have that just wraps you up and then start putting up a fight. And, and this, I'm talking about habitual sins, something that really has you in its bondage, that has you mastered. It could be anxious thoughts, right? They're always present. They're always present. Well, okay, let's see if we can't inject some scripture in here and start talking to myself. No, I don't need to be afraid of that because God has said this. That sort of dialogue. So figure out what it is for you and then find the scriptures, and then memorize those scriptures, and then just start using that as your, um, as your thoughts, that inner dialogue. Start speaking, talking to yourself, rather than listening to your unguided, godless, fearful thoughts. Right? I think this is one of the main, main roots that we will take in our sanctification but most of us are lazy and don't just do that work of, okay, this is what the problem is, this is the scriptures, I've got to memorize, then I have to speak to myself. We just sort of want God to like fix the problem, you know, supernaturally, like boom, you're, you're, you're sanctified, it's done, you're never going to, and God does that sometimes. And it's an incredible mercy, but he does not do that all the time. 
there are other things he leads you to struggle with so that he can see you depending upon him and, and learning his word, okay? And that's purposeful. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Spirit who is working the, this fruit in our hearts, in our minds, into um, our walk with you. And, Lord, we do desire to be like Jesus, who exhibited this fruit um, constantly and without fail. And, Lord, we do pray that our lives would, be, uh, and would honor you and we would do that which is pleasing in your sight. Father, we thank you for uh, your mercy to us in Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen.